Obama had expressed perfectly reasonable doubts about the value and feasibility of the expensive program earlier. But the manner of the announcement caused some distress. Apparently reacting to what they thought was a leak, White House officials roused the Czech prime minister in the middle of the night to tell him about the decision. The Polish prime minister refused to take a similar call. Both governments had invested a large amount of political capital in the program, not for its own sake, but because both wanted a U.S. military presence on their soil for their security. Both were unprepared for the decision and embarrassed by it. Looking back at 2009, in other words, the patterns that would determine the shape of relations among the United States, Europe, and Russia over the next five years were already visible. At least until nearly the second half of Obama's second term, neither the president nor anyone on his foreign policy team took European security seriously. The continent was considered safe and dull, a place for photo opportunities rather than real debate. NATO, which even then was desperately in need of radical institutional change, was thought too uninteresting to bother reforming. Europe's refusal to contribute more troops to Afghanistan created not concern, but a kind of disgust. The security fears of Central Europe and the Baltic states were an afterthought, not even worth any extra diplomatic effort. Although the EU was slowly developing a deeper relationship with Kiev, Ukraine scarcely figured in U.S. thinking at that time. Despite the support that Europeans had given him during his election campaign, the president seems to have quickly concluded that his real efforts should lie elsewhere. As for Russia, the analysis was straightforward. All the problems in U.S.-Russian relations were the fault of the previous president with his bellicose rhetoric and his missile defense shield. Russia's 2008 war with Georgia was quietly blamed on Mikhail Saakashvili, Georgia's president. The profound differences in psychology, philosophy, and policy that had actually been the central sources of friction between the U.S. and Russian governments for the previous decade were dismissed or downplayed. Yet even in early 2009, those differences were growing sharper. Given what came later, it is worth looking at remarks that Lavrov made at the German Marshall Fund's March 2009 forum in Brussels. Speaking to past and present policymakers, several of whom had helped dismember the Warsaw Pact and expand NATO in the 1990s, Lavrov suggested that the West had lied to Russia, that NATO remained a threat to Russia, that the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe should replace NATO as the primary Western security organization, and that Russia would have plenty of potential clients for its gas in East Asia should its Western customers ever become problematic. Missed Signals None of that sounded like the rhetoric of a country ready for a reset, and Russia's evolving military strategy wasn't any more comforting. During Zapad 2009, major military exercises that Russia held in 2009, the Russian army practiced a particularly aggressive scenario, the defense of a Baltic invasion of Belarus and a war with NATO-like forces culminating in a first-use nuclear attack on Warsaw. Alarmed by this, Poland and the Baltic states stepped up their lobbying for a greater NATO presence in the region. In private, many officials worried that Russia would, sooner or later, do what its military had exercised. 
That was certainly what had happened in Georgia. But neither NATO nor the Obama administration was yet inclined to take such extreme scenarios seriously. The idea that Russia might again pose a real military threat to Europe still seemed absurd. This is not to say that the Obama administration was motivated entirely by naivete. Even in 2009 and 2010, there were few illusions about the nature of the Russian regime. In July 2009, when Obama had his first meeting with Vladimir Putin, the Russian leader rudely lectured the American president, and the two exchanged frank words about missile defense, Georgia, and other sore spots. But the White House still thought that it could work around Putin and deal directly with Dmitry Medvedev, who, although he was president at the time, held very little power. Early on, an Obama administration official told me that the White House's policy was to...